Hey everybody, welcome back to An Art Enthusiast's Journey. Today I am in the studio with Mike Cameron. Mike is a clay sculpturist and a potter. And uh, Mike, do I have it right that uh, you started out as an airbrush artist for Jostens and then during college started airbrushing pots for friends preceding your time as an actual sculptor? Actually, yes, I started as an airbrush artist. By the way, my company is called Clayborn Originals. Uh, it's clay, like born in clay, because everything I do is original. Even if you throw in the pot, it's a little bit on the original side, because I do add other little specialties to it. But uh, when I graduated from the Studio Academy of School in Advertising, Art, and Design in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, while I was working with Justin, they helped pay half my education. Awesome. Then, later on down the road, uh, I picked up the art again. I kind of left alone for a while and uh, had somebody that I knew that uh, knew a little bit about clay, and I had no idea that I would take to it like a duck takes to water. <laughs> well, so. you clearly have. The studio's obviously full. I have several pieces. I've seen many more. Um, so what was up with uh, the intro to clay being uh, involving airbrushing pots for your friends? Well, when I first started, my friend would do... Uh, the actual sculpting, and when we'd biscuit, and I just looked at it, I said, you know what, to kind of bring out the color, I used acrylics, I started airbrushing the uh, the pieces themselves. And they took a, a real third-dimensional, uh, you know, persona, and they sold like hotcakes. So you were airbrushing them with uh, paint or glaze? No, or with, with acrylic. With actual acrylic? Mm -hmm. Interesting. After they were bisked, yeah. Still have any of them around? I don't. As a matter of fact, oh, they were long gone a long time ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's really too bad, man. I'm sure they were beautiful. Yeah, they were. They're kind of whimsical and <laughs> uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, right. Then I was. Then I got into actually doing the actual hand building. Nice. And uh, I started hand building like I'm going to teach you starting today. Awesome. Uh, if you could see my very early piece, uh, <laughs> Sculpture of an Indian, which I still have that. Okay. You'll see a big difference between then and now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. It's always nice to have that comparison, right? Yeah, uh, a little primitive before and the finished product later. Do you, uh, do you want me to photograph it and put it on the Instagram page? Uh, the uh, early piece? Your, your early piece, yeah. You can put an early piece and you can put them on. I got one here. You can take a picture of the... Uh, uh, one of the latest pieces too. Okay, great. That's exactly. You know what the I'm medicine man for. I showed you on my phone. Yeah, it's here. You That's can exactly it. what I'm looking for. Sure. Uh, that'll be uh, that way. You know, the podcast is called an art enthusiast's journey. Sure. That way, the fans get to observe a little bit of your journey as the artist, right? That was a journey too, and it still is. <laughs> I, bet, I bet it never stops, right? Well, it's it's funny you should say that because the clay does make you honest. Uh, you think you get a little cocky, and all of a sudden it. Uh, uh, you say, whoops. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe you. I can relate this way. Um, I don't know if uh, you were ever into punk rock. I never was, but I know who Henry Rollins is, and um, I am into weightlifting, and as Henry Rollins says, the iron never lies. Well, It'll keep you honest, and I'm sure the clay does, too. Well, as I, soon as you make a mistake, there it is, right? Right. I, actually, yeah, I'm also a, an ex-musician, too. I used to play on the road. That's another thing, too. It does make keep you honest, too, when you're playing an instrument. Yep. you got to be on top of your game all the time. Yeah, you can't lie and cover up a bad note, mm -hmm. can you? Um, Mike, let's talk about a... Let's have a recollection of pain and a recollection of happiness. What was the piece that hurt you the most when it broke? Oh, man, they all do. It's been, <laughs> you've been doing it for so long, I don't even know if that's a fair question. Actually, yeah. Uh, no, it's a fair question because there's a lot of artists out there, uh, potters, that if it's not exactly correct, they will break it. I'm not, I'm not like that. Okay, As right. a matter of fact, sometimes, I'll tell you what's funny. Sometimes the pieces I like the least are the first ones to sell. Those <laughs> to show you that beauty is actually in the eye of the beholder. 
And some of the pieces I like sometimes are the last to sell. So you never know. So you just enjoy what you're making. And, and that's one thing about doing the clay. It has a life of its own. So it takes care of what it takes care of. First of all, when you throw it or you sculpt it. Second of all, when you fire it, because you uh, depends what you're going to do with the piece. If you're going to, uh, like if you're doing a face, if you're going to use uh, 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 actual glaze, airbrush to glaze on, or if you're just going to go ahead and biscuit, then uh, acrylic it. Um, it. It all comes out uh, on a life of its own with the kiln. As well as when you're doing a pot, you're doing different glazes on it. No two glazes come out the same way. Yeah, really well explained, Mike. Um, this question may not be possible to answer either, given the amount of time over which you've been working, but uh, which of your pieces do you think made the buyer or recipient the happiest? Well, when they buy a piece from me, they're always happy. So I think that <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a hard one to explain. Um, sure. Uh, I, I actually, what happened when I made somebody the happiest, believe it or not, it was a restoration, a restoration of a piece that a uh, little gal got when she went to catechism and uh, Catholic school. It was a plaster piece, believe it or not, of the Mother Mary. It was all broken and beat oh. up, and, and I actually used drywall mud <laughs> uh, and let it dry, and then sanded it down, sculpted it down because of my sculpting, and made it look uh, uh, like the original after I airbrushed it. So all your skills coming together <laughs> in one little restoration for a, for a, yeah, a little girl? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. And uh, actually, a little girl was probably right around 18, but she got it when she was about, I don't know, six or seven, something like that. So it meant a lot to her. Uh, you know, Sounds from the like it. Yeah. That's, and the, the idea to use drywall mud totally makes sense. That's Yeah, because I'm not going to well fire Well done, man. It. Yeah, because yeah. I'm not going to fire yeah. it. Just, good call. You know, yeah. <clears throat> and also, your skills come out a lot, too, when you do break something or a verge of it and how to fix it. Or it's not quite uh, fired yet, and how to repair it before it gets fired, uh, that kind of thing. And sometimes some of your pieces that are the most pain in the ass to make uh, sometimes works uh, works out uh, well. Well, it's worth being a pain in the ass, right? Exactly. Uh, so you went to a design and art school. Mm -hmm. um, is it really more about ceramics or design for you now? And was it more about ceramics or design then? Then it was just graphics. Uh, just the and, graphics? And design and uh, packaging, stuff like that, you know, for, for actual real commercial art. But in those days, we actually know how, have to know how to draw. It's not like <laughs> using a computer with the programs like you have today. Do you still draw sketches before you sculpt? On some things I do, yeah. yeah. Or I'll, I'll actually sketch it on the piece. Like, for example... On my salsa bowls, you see it sitting over there. Uh -huh. I'm doing some whimsical things like you can see here. Uh, like I'll do a sombrero, but I have to draw the sombrero on there. Okay. And I'll do like a whimsical rattlesnake, which is kind of cool. Uh, so the anamorphic pieces I've seen yeah. you do have been drawn out in advance. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I, I, can, I can see what you're going to do with that. Yeah, for sure. And special clay, because you know you have to again fit the piece. Um, uh, but uh, I, you know, I, I just do a rough sketch, and of course, uh, when they do the actual uh, glaze on there uh, with a with an actual brush, then that's when the finished pieces come up. Uh, uh, when you sometimes make a mistake, you have to go over some. Sometimes it works better than the original. So it, it's like I said, each person or each each piece. Apologize for that miss faux pas there. <laughs> Uh, no worries, each, Mike. Each piece has its own identity, and it kind of has its own spirit, if you will. I've always felt that way as a collector. 
I, I really mean that. I think that's it probably does. a common feeling, you know, among artists and collectors as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's really uh, mystical, if you want to use that word. We can use it. It's mystical. Uh, so I know that you prefer to work with red clay. Can you tell me a little bit about why and at what point in your life as a potter you sort of realized this preference? Well, I use all kinds of colors of clay, different types of clay. The red clay uh, seems to be uh, more natural because uh, I can go ahead and glaze the inside and just fire it and the exterior looks great. Now it comes up to either uh, a, a tan like the one you have, yeah. uh, but if I boost it up, because yours was done at a cone 5, cone 6, but if I boost the same clay to a cone 7, it turns that red that you see. Okay. Um, it's a, So you have to kind of have a feel for the, the heat and also that. Uh, so without having to go ahead and glaze the exterior because uh, with the natural clay look, People seem to like that a lot. I agree. I agree. And where, I mean, you know, depending on your perspective, right. we're in the Southwest where it's you right. know, the most popular. Right. Now, you've used so. a white clay, which you can also do too. And that's where you do the different colors of the glazes that you see. Sure. So it, it doesn't take uh, on the life, uh, it takes on a life of its own, but all depends on what you prefer. If you like the earth type stuff, that's with that. I kind of like that because I do a lot of Native American faces and right. Native American art. It does seem to mm -hmm. lend itself pretty yeah. well to that, I yeah. have to say. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to run that question by you because I know, yeah. you know, most of the stuff I've seen you do has been in red clay and I have a buddy named Cody who sculpts mm -hmm. and he will only work in red clay, but for him it's just uh, the most enjoyable to work with. He enjoys the feel of working with it the best. Well, uh, no, I, 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 I don't feel that way, but uh, because it is rather messy. <laughs> yeah, no, because, I've found that to be true. Because uh, <laughs> when you do the red clay, it has a lot of what they call iron oxide in it, right. okay? And that's what creates the red. Uh, and then, of course, with your hands or whatever, I have a special spray right there that can, because uh, it gets under your fingernails and yeah. stuff, so it, it, it can it can wash off pretty well. But I just like the uh, patina that it comes out with. And uh, it's a little more forgiving, too. There's some clays out there, like porcelain and whatever you've heard of, that are unforgiving, so you cannot make a mistake. You try to correct the mistake. Too late. Mm -hmm. Too late. Like painting with acrylic versus oil. Um, do you know where your clay is sourced? Uh, actually, there's manufacturers that actually do that. Uh, they use a, what they call a pug mill once they mix everything, and then they uh, go ahead and put it in plastic 25-pound uh, bags. Okay. Or not. And then uh, squares, I call them bricks. Right. And uh, they, they sell them in 50-pound boxes, you see there. So. Okay. Uh, but uh, so it's just a, and also I have a scale over here. Depending on what you're going to make, uh, you can weigh each piece of clay, or uh, when you make a ball of it, first of all, after you wedge it, you wedge it in, a, in order to get the air bubbles out of it. Because if you have air bubbles in it, when you fire it, it can break it. And also, if it, if it breaks it too much, if it explodes it, you could have a nice piece next to it in the kiln. It can probably right. hurt that too. Collateral damage. Right. But you also yeah. have to make sure it's perfectly dry. But getting back to what I was mentioning, if you're going to make duplicates like... Uh, uh, Plates, for example, I've done some plates. My wife has actually done some beautiful designs. Then I will, I will definitely weigh the uh, each piece of the clay because that way I know what I can do with it, how large I can get with right. it. Right. And it has calipers. I have all kinds of stuff to measure to make sure it gets to a point when I'm throwing it that it all looks pretty close the same size. But unless you use a mold, 
and actually mold the piece, what they call slip. Slip is actually clay mixed with water. It got kind of a slurry. You have a mold where you pour it sure. into. The pieces will not be exact. So uh, that's what I'm saying. Each piece has its own, uh, even though you're making duplicates, duplicates it's not yeah. the same. They're, you know? they're duplicates, not doppelgangers. Right. Yeah, doppelgangers. <laughs> Good word. Yeah. I wanted to throw it out if I got the chance, yeah. Mike. Uh, so you like to throw a pretty thick walled, I've noticed. Well, I do a little bit of both. If you look on there, that one bowl there, uh, you see that yarn bowl? One's pretty thin, one's a little bit thick. Yeah, I do see that, yeah. Uh, when I do a real thick bowl, usually I'm going to carve something in it. Uh, okay. That's why you have some room uh, to, to carve so you don't uh, mess it up. Uh, in other words, go through the walls and then you start over again. That's, that, that's, that's, right. that's another thing, too. It just kind of... A little disheartening is when you put your old heart and soul in one piece, and then, you know, before it gets fired, it, you know, screw it up, or even at the fire, yeah. it screw it up. So that's the way you got to be awful careful. Patience, I would say, is the number one thing when you're doing clay. Um, just in the little bit of dabbling I've done, I've found that to be so true. And yeah, it is so mm -hmm. aggravating to get to the end of something. In my case, not even something good <laughs> yet, right? And have a thumb come through or, or well, notice that I've missed a seam or something like that. It's just... Well, Jim, your stuff is a little primitive because, exactly. it's, because, because it, it's got, you know, you're starting. But the one thing you did do right, though, you got all the air bubbles out of it, like I told you before. So when yeah. I fired it in the kiln uh, with my stuff, it didn't explode, did it? Well, it was forearm day. Like I, <laughs> I wanted to work forearms. Right, because, you know, there's no such thing as over-wedging it. I agree with that. Yeah, clearly that would not mm -hmm. be possible. Wedging means putting the clay, uh, making a ball out of it, and throw it against a hard surface several times, and then you can take a wire uh, to, to test yourself and make a ball again, and then, and then split split the ball in half by using a wire. Wire cutters, just uh, right a piece of wire, uh, is, is the best thing to cut clay with and then it, it comes in two pieces that way you can see whether it's got air bubbles in it or not yeah and then that was if it's got a little one then you just put it right here and hit it again after you put it back together again more wedging mm -hmm. <laughs> make sure it's dry and make sure that there's no uh, bubbles in it is, is part of the secret it's actually part of the secret when you start to throw versus sculpting because sculpting uh, you can see the air bubbles and get them out because you're sculpting it anyway. So if it, if it has a food pie in it, you can fix it. Sure. When, you, when you're throwing, uh, it makes it easier to throw uh, you know, when the, the clay is, is the way it's supposed to be without any air bubbles. Because you can tell if you got a, made a mistake, you got an air bubble there because it's off-center a lot. And sometimes it is protrude, protrude through the clay so you can at least lance it with a pin. We, call it, we have a pin uh, tool that you can lance it with. And uh, I've had uh, I've had to do that several times. So <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, of course I've heard other potters talk about how uh, mm -hmm. your goal up front is to get it. Uh, everybody seems to use the word smooth, get the clay as smooth as possible. And without you know, before I ever did it, I knew what they meant. I would say balance you know? actually. If you're going to do that to go on the wheel, uh, is to make the wheel so you don't have the. Uh, it just makes it harder to, to, to center, what we call center. There's different stages you go through on the clay uh, when you throw it on the wheel. So so you, you prefer to have your clay stay on the wheel then when you're throwing as opposed to slap up on the wall or <laughs> yeah, tumble yeah, off into yeah, your lap? Yeah, or... yeah. I've had that happen though. So. Well, of course. Matter we we of... might see it today. Yeah, no, no, I hope not. Uh, well, I hope I've not had, too. I've but... had it happen where it's not on the bat. Uh, uh, or, or is it too much water or something where it's yeah. actually slid off the bat? And uh, I've had it with like a five-pound piece of clay one time, 
and it definitely had, uh, it went off there and it hit something and it did make a mess. But that's, yeah, I'm sure that's okay. That's how you learn. I'm sure, it made some noise. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Mike, just because you're you, oh. Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones? Uh, I would say, gosh, I don't know. Uh, Led Zeppelin is great. The Rolling Stones is probably the oldest and ugliest rock band in all life, <laughs> but they're still they're still going and. They made some pretty good tunes, pretty simple tunes. They made a fortune with it. So I'd say uh, uh, the creative part, I think the Rolling Stones actually have been more creative than Led Zeppelin. All right. They've lasted longer, too. That's, they're, still, they're still going. And true, true. And uh, as Mike said earlier, he used to be a musician. He used to play in a band. Yep. He's, uh, he's had fact, to eat pieces of that road himself. If I could be a name thrower, uh, back in Illinois, uh, the drummer of the Doobie Brothers uh, was uh, our drummer of our band called the Schillings back in Illinois. We played all through Chicago, all through that area. I've known him since he was 18, and sadly he passed away about 12 years ago of pneumonia. Yeah, I recall that. That is too bad. Keith Knusen was his name. Yeah, that's, that's too bad. So what's more intense, the Chicago rock scene <laughs> or the festival tour? People are people. All right. <laughs> yeah, if All you right. do a good job playing, no matter who they are, they like you. Because uh, they know what type of music you're doing. And back in those days, we did the English sound pretty much. And then the Motown sound came in, so we were doing all that. So uh, if, you're, if you're pretty good at what you do, uh, they'll come and see you. They'll enjoy it. Yeah, I, I, I can relate, too. I mean, you know, having done as much stand-up as I did, <laughs> uh, it's not difficult to imagine translating those people skills into the booth, right? Right. An audience is an audience. Exactly. Right. All right. For Bingo. our listeners, mm -hmm. uh, Mike, as he mentioned earlier, specializes in doing Native American heads. I've seen several of them, and they are attention getters. So, Mike, my first question about this is, what made you decide to start sculpting faces? I always liked uh, Native American uh, um, since I was a kid. I remember when I was two or three years old. I can still remember that far back, believe it or not. I can I, too. I always, I, wanted, I, always, I always wanted a little headdress, and I always wanted <laughs> to play cowboys and Indians. Anyway, I've always had kind of a kindred spirit to Native Americans. All right. And uh, it's uh, when you when you're doing sculpting on a face, it's like something that zones out and helps you do it. Uh, to answer your question, hmm. why Native Americans? I had, well, the person I talked about before, it got me going on the clay, did sculpting, and and I just decided I wanted to do a, a Native American face, and so. I started looking at some pictures and started doing it, and uh, one thing led after another, and here we are. Now, several Native American heads down the road. You're oh, a yeah. Yeah, I've done cheese. i got them all over the world, to tell you the truth. Yeah. yeah. The, I like them. They're, yeah. they're really now, good. Now here's a, I'll be putting pictures on Instagram, people. Okay. <laughs> well, here's a situation where you have, uh, sometimes I'll oxide them and just fire them that way, especially on the uh, messmate of different patina, and some I'll airbrush. So it gives a... I, I noticed the difference, yeah. too. You know, on that ghost-faced warrior? Yeah. He was airbrushed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gives it, I don't know, it, it's hard for me to say which effect I prefer, to be honest with you. Yeah, it depends I, on the I RC, like them both, I guess the is RC, what I'm saying. The artsy look or the more realistic look, it all depends on what you're looking for. Oh, uh, both of them are attractive, and it depends on what kind of, um, like an office or something, I would uh, tend to go towards the oxide. I would think, yeah. Because it's more of a neutral. Yeah, for a professional mm -hmm. space. Yeah. So... I'm guessing my next question has <laughs> kind of already been answered. Obviously, you also referenced earlier sketching out the anamorphic forms. Mm -hmm. I've noticed, of course, with some of your work, there's you know a strong connection to wildlife mm -hmm. displayed. Part of that same... Casserole bowls, uh, I call them. 
with with uh, wolves' heads on them and stuff like that. And sure. Sculpt and, and the bear like you have. The uh, eagle. Uh, I saw the eagle, eagle head mm-hmm. casserole bowl, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, maybe I've got the eagle here. Got to figure out what to do with it. Uh, it was one of my bowls that it actually broke, but the eagle I saved it. So oh. I'm, I'm going to work on it and uh, attach it to something. Good save. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of work goes into to doing that. Of course. Um, and any kind of uh, animal that's really attached to the Native American. I Rattlesnakes, I've done a lot of rattlesnake uh, uh, cups and bowls, believe it or not. Uh, they love them. Especially oh, the cups, yeah. I would think so. The, the one mug I have from you isn't even anamorphic, and I love it. Right. Well, you know, you know the, and I've seen the, some of the handles and rims you've done. You go there, the snake, you go, they even have, even like lizards and turtles, it depends on the tribe. Uh, some people like, some of the tribes like owls, some of them hate them. Some <laughs> good juju, some of them are bad juju. Uh, like you said, the eagle, the hawk, all that stuff is all uh, metamorphic, uh, spiritualistic to the Native Americans. So. so if you just sculpt all the animals of the West, you're covering all your bases. Yeah, and, and <laughs> right. also... Right. And, and make enough pieces without them. Right, it's just like when I do the faces. Uh, I've done the, uh, you know, the shaman or the uh, medicine man, if you will. You know, with the uh, buffalo headdress with the horns on it. Right. I've done uh, a bear uh, that was the same thing. The bear with the face on it. Actually, there were scouts uh, that that did that. And, of course, with uh, the uh, gold face warriors, you could do the same thing with an animal skin on it. Like uh, I used to do some with coyote skins, actual real coyote uh, the skins that were skinned with the, with the actual uh, part of the skull, not the skull itself, but the skin of the skull, right on their heads too. So mm, really adventurous. Mm-hmm. So you try to do as is as, as indigenous as possible. Like I do not like to use any plastics at all on my sculptures. Okay. I use real uh, beads, leathers, uh, real fur. I don't use full uh, full fur. Now you can might say uh, maybe uh, I'm not uh, PC on that, but so be it. So uh, the Native Americans were, uh, you know into the actual uh, nature as well. Of course, and yeah. it's your prerogative as an artist. Right, right. You know. So don't like to use... only thing I, I do use, um, a kind of a, um, uh, a rosin, is when I do a, a native, when he has a bear claw as part of his uh, uh, his persona, when he has a, uh, I'm trying to think of it, uh, a choker. And because and, and, in some states, it is against the law to use real... Uh, uh, you know, so you have to kind of watch it there. It's okay. like it's like in real feathers, real real eagle feathers. So in that case, you have to. Well, yeah, and certainly if there's a protected right. species or something like right. that, you're going to have to duplicate exactly. the <clears throat> plumage or fur yeah. or what have you. That makes sense. But in general, obviously, where it's appropriate, you like to use the genuine article. Exactly, it's understandable. If you had to choose, if you could only do one, throwing or sculpting. It's hard to say. <laughs> Because I uh, a lot of my uh, when I, a lot of my pieces I throw I do uh, marry it with sculptures. So you can fair cut, enough. So you can kind of two, put the two into one. Yeah, if if nothing else, on the simplest level uh, for our listeners to picture that in their heads, uh, even just a lid on a pot, mm-hmm. right? Uh, can you tell our listeners about your perceptions of the pros and cons of being on the festival and show circuits? Well, um, the festivals is expensive to get a booth. I, I think that there's a lot of competition with the same thing, and that's why I try to be different. Uh, if my stuff's a little bit different than theirs, and then of course they'll buy it. I haven't gotten that involved. 
for that reason. It's because the following I have is people that know who I do. I've been doing it for so long. I haven't had to do it. Not that I wouldn't want to do it, but I haven't had to do it at this point. But I'm not, uh, I'm not to the point where I say I don't want to do it. I think the tough part are galleries. Because uh, in galleries, you got to have the, the correct gallery. you got to have the uh, gallery uh, uh, directors that are uh, supportive of your work. Right. And you have to have the right clientele that goes into that gallery. So there's a lot of research that goes into that, as you found out the last gallery I was in. Yeah, I I hear you. This guy kind of like modern art. They just slap and uh, paint against the, the canvas without any reason. And that, that type of a person who likes that is not going to like my stuff because mine is more, uh, I say, real. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and the gallery situation is a lot more about relationship building, too, mm -hmm. of course. You know, sometimes relationship building you might not enjoy. You know, where on the festival circuit, you get to pick and choose a little more, I would say. Right, right. At the shows. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. And, go let's go ahead and wrap it up. Do you uh, do you have anything else to tell the listeners about Claiborne Originals? I'm going to post some information in the afterward, but is well, there anything else you'd like to just say? Just repeating myself, the reason why I come up with Claiborne Originals is because it's kind of like born in clay. Really. So it's clay slash uh, originals or, or hyphen originals. Um, uh, for that reason, it's because no two pieces are alike. I do not use molds any way, shape, or form. So if I make, if I made, for example, a medicine man for you, and you had somebody like your medicine man, they want one, it won't look like yours. Right, right. And I've noticed that. I've seen you make, you know, a few things for a few different people, and, and I've noticed those variations. Uh, so thanks for those closing words about Claiborne. Uh, folks, as I said, I will be posting some contact information, some more information about Mike uh, in the afterward to this podcast and i will be posting some pictures of mike's work on instagram including some pictures of the grizzly bear bowl that you heard mike and i discussing which i happen to own thank you very much for listening I hope you enjoyed Mike. He definitely enjoyed doing the interview for you. I am going to post several pictures of his work on my Instagram account, which is an art enthusiast's journey. If you see things you like and would like to contact Mike directly, you can do so at claiborne77 at comcast.net. Thank you once again.